Welcome to the Red Dove Podcast. I'm Liz. I'm Blue. Tonight, first episode, book club, So You Want to Talk About Race by Ijoma Oluo. And I think tonight we said we were just going to start with the first two chapters. So, Blue, what did you think? This book is very powerful. I... When I started to read it, so first of all, I want to say that this podcast in itself is giving life to so many different aspects of my life that I've been avoiding and not like intentionally per se, but you just, you, oh, I don't have time to read. Oh, I don't have time for this. Oh, I don't have time. So like for those people that are out there that are like not, you don't have enough time. Make time for the things that you enjoy and that are important to you. But going back to the question, yes, this book is very powerful. I felt that immediately as a black woman, I began to relate to many things and thoughts um, that she said. Additionally, it's still a learning tool. So I felt as a person of color, which she mentions in the book too, like, the experience is different for everyone. So I still felt like I was learning as she was beginning to, beginning to, right, discuss mm-hmm. these heavy topics. Yeah, her, um, the personal stories and her use of words to create, like, the analogies, um, I thought was very powerful, very powerful tool. Like, in the beginning when she, or... I forget where it was when she said, discussed about how if you were being abused. I thought that as a as a as a white person, I imagine that if this was the first time you were reading this book, and then you and you read the words about how she described um, when she was in an abusive relationship, I think that if you're not a person of color, you still can understand what it might have felt like to be in it, or maybe you survived one. So I, I just thought, a bit of a ramble, but in the beginning it was just, the stories that she posits in the book really helps the reader connect to some of these more abstract concepts like systemic racism, white supremacy. So I thought she did and just a great job connecting, but it was, like you said, I agree with you, it was so powerful the way that she writes and she really brings the words to light. Definitely. I mean, I think, and that's the thing, right? The way she brings the words to life and they just fly off the page and you begin to see yourself in the situation, once you read it, remember, you are now accountable. Right. And I thought about myself, even with those things like we, you know, you can't hold people accountable. That's kind of the golden rule that I try to go off. If they don't know, you can't hold people accountable. So you have to give them a pass, blah, 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 blah. Don't know what aspect of my culture that that comes from. But if you read these words, it's very, very clear. It's very, very clear. And it's an enjoyable read. That's the other thing. You know, you're. You're gonna want. You're going to want to read this book. I felt like, again, going back to that place of, oh my gosh, now you know I have to make time because we all have a million things to do, right? 
Right. But make time for yourself. And this is important for your mental health, social health, if you have feelings and you're concerned about what is happening. This is an important book to start processing. I like the first chapter. I thought that um, chapter one is it really about race. Um, and again, I think this this is a good um, introductory book for, I can only speak to like to white people, but I mean, if you, um, like again, if if you haven't read about social justice before, like a full book, et cetera, this is a very, I think this is an accessible book to anyone, no matter how much you know, you still are going to learn something new. It's a beautiful writer, uh, powerful. And if you have no idea or you're timid, I, I think she says that right in the book, right? Like, yeah, in the first chapter, just sort of like, well, what is it? Is it really about race? And talking about how in society we've been raised, we're talking about race is just not something you quote unquote do in polite company. We don't have a lot of practice in putting words to racial issues. So I'm reading, this is her words right out of the book. But uh, the author proposes, what does she say? So if you, here we go. If you are looking for a simple way to determine if something is about race, here are some basic rules. And when I say basic, I mean basic. And then we were talking about this before, but it is about race if a person of color thinks it is about race. Period. Yeah, and she, she was saying, like, like, oh, at first you might be like, well, that's ridiculous. You know, then anything can be about race. Our lived experiences that shape us and how we interact with the world and how we live in the world and our experiences are valid. So if a person of color says that something is about race, it is. Because regardless of the details, regardless of whether or not you can connect the dots from the outside. Their racial identity is a part of them and it is interacting with the situation. Oh no, I liked how too when she went on, she mentioned something along the lines of helping. You know, she explained to the reader, well, you if you've experienced this, then do you feel like this and you blah, 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 and et cetera. And then the person is like, yes, that's my experience. And she's like, well, if that's your experience because of what you lived, who are you, basically? Why, what gives you, which is my thought <clears throat> with many people, why Why are you deemed to discredit other people? And that's a personal issue, right? So that's why oftentimes, too, when I look at racist, to me, there's a lot of other things you're not addressing mental health-wise that cause it to become something that bleeds into an addiction and an ignorance that you channel. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and that reminds me, um, she's saying, like, a lot of, uh, like, white people would be like, oh, well, I'm poor, and I've, you know, I've, I've been um, left out of things. So it's like, poverty it's it's not just about race and then I, later on she's like there are very few hardships out there that hit only people of color and not white people but there are a lot of hardships that hit people of color a lot more than white people 
the biggest um, point from is it really about race, and this kind of ties into her definition of racism, it's a, it, it is about race if it fits into a broader pattern of events that disproportionately or differently affect people of color, which we were talking about, you were talking about to me the other day, and this kind of dovetails into her next chapter about the definition of race. But that's the thing too, it's um, as a white person, I've like thought of my, I've thought, um, but this, what this chapter made me feel was like, there have been situations that I've been in where it's like, I don't know how to, I don't know the words to use to express myself, whether it's to um, someone being racist or whether it's um, a person of color saying things and I don't understand how is that about race and like that. So this really was like very clear if you need those concrete visuals, it is about race. If this, if this, if this, yes. and then by and then by by giving the knowledge, you feel empowered to speak, right? Yes, I think the other thing is going back to those analogies. She does an amazing job in making it very plain and simple with the punch in the arm. You know. <gasps> Yes. Tell me about that. That was so easy to see. Tell me about that. So, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm trying to make sure I get the details right. But, you know, someone, she's saying basically you're walking down the street and you keep getting punched in the arm. And granted, there are people that are doing it accidentally or unknowingly. But she made certain points, right? Mm -hmm. When you finally have had enough of being punched in the arm that... Of course, for the person who is, the, you know, maybe the last person to punch you, it's not the best time to talk about how you're entitled to flailing your arms just however you want. And mm-hmm. that is another, as I'm saying, these are social skills. <laughs> these are social skills. We have to stop empowering people that walk around with this breed of ignorance because it's literally just a matter of I'm a jerk, so I don't. You tell me that I that you're hurt, right? You tell mm-hmm. me that you feel something because that's what you said, because that's what you felt, and you tell me, well, guess what? I feel like everything you feel. That's what you're saying when you willingly choose to ignore people of color and black people in particular in America what they have to say about racism. It, it was a great, it was another analogy and visualization that the author put in my brain where it's like, I can understand um, like walking, I can visualize walking down a street and then just constantly being punched in the arm. And that, when I was reading that, it reminded me of uh, probably me and like, or uh, other white people, when they say something racist or, or a black or a uh, brown woman says what you said is racist and they say, I'm sorry, that wasn't my intention. That wasn't my intention. And the black feminist taught me, or I, I heard the phrase for the first time from a black feminist, 
Im well, I'm going to butcher it, but as I just said that, but it's like impact over intention. And what she meant was you, what your intention is doesn't trump the impact. In other words, it doesn't make it okay because you accidentally bumped into my arm, using the analogy that the author with the walking down the street, like, I don't care if you didn't mean to punch me in the arm. I want to talk about the fact that I live in a country that constantly punches me in the arm as I walk down the street. As her, right. I love, yeah, I loved that section as well. Right. I mean, even when she, um, and I mean, just her explaining experiences, you know, she, she spoke about how a friend, when she was trying to explain what she was experiencing, she realized in that conversation, she, she couldn't talk to him. And it was heartbreaking. And it's, you know, I've had that experience where the, the conversation came up to address with young black males to help them understand how to interact with the police. And a white woman that worked there said that made her feel uncomfortable. So we opted out. What, do you, what do you mean? What, what do you mean? What do you mean you opted out? It wasn't done. Wow. And I don't know whose choice that was, but you know, that discredited a lot of what we're feeling. You know, there's no other way to say it. It's just, and, and what, what happened again, very similar to what Ijoma Oluo explained in the book is that her uncomfortability meant more than those children's lives, meant mm. more than the the black males in my life, my life meant more than their, their lives because she was uncomfortable having a conversation. And the way she explains it, it's very powerful because every, we all can relate to it. How did you feel when that happened? Um, I think just like she said, you know, then you have that, that you respond and you immediately in your head, you're like, oh my God, now I'm an angry black woman. So I went to that place and I'm like, <laughs> but then she explained as well, you're not angry, you're hurt. Right. You're hurt because you were not, you realized you weren't as important. And that is, I think, even in having this conversation and putting it in those words, that is a sickening feeling to confront and to have. And that is scary, like even to have to put that into words right now, that's uncomfortable. <laughs> that's and beyond uncomfortable. That's, that's not even a good word. That's just a word to put into place because there's so many words to feel in that moment you're not, that's what, not, you're not as important. That's what I learned um, when reading the first couple of chapters that like that makes you feel like my pain or pain that black Americans feel is less important than your uncomfortability. Yeah. And, and if you're white and you've said that, what you are saying is 
my discomfort over this topic that centers, that deserves to be at the center, and everything else must be shut down. And the effect is, um, it can be very, and, and again, this was, this was from the book, the effect can be, the worst effect could be death. The, exactly. Uh, the a, a death of a black or brown person, or not getting a job, or not getting access, or being denied um, housing or food that you're entitled to. So that was sort of like, this goes into her definition of racism. It's prejudice against a person of color. What was it? And then when it's, also when it's demonstrated in the society as a whole, like her, this woman saying to you, oh, this makes me uncomfortable. We shouldn't talk about it. It's not just that, and it's like the punching of the arm. It's not the one punch, it's the million punches. What she did there was rude and like shut it down, but the fact that anybody else in that room, white people, didn't stop her, it's like it's accepting that behavior. And so then, and the author, she said um, to tie it that little experience to like a bigger experience, like, oh, well, when you do that, and then how it links to, uh, I'm sort of rambling. What is the one about um, if someone posts on Facebook a meme about um, a Mexican child should learn how to, to speak uh, English, and like, oh, that's great, but if you want to, say that that's horrible and post that on Facebook, like, you're speaking about it, but a more effective tool is to link it to the white supremacy. Like, well, what does that mean? It's like when you, when that student is treated that way, mm -hmm. it's, it's a part of a bigger issue, for example, like school-to-prison pipeline, for example. Definitely. She said, for the purposes of the book and what's most important, what we are discussing, racism is a prejudice against someone based on race when those prejudices are reinforced by systems of power. That in itself is, just as you were saying about school to prison, that's the problem. We don't care. You you know, people don't have to care if you like them or not. That's mm -hmm. not what people are discussing. Mm -hmm. It's systems created to have power over other individuals to the point of no, um, you know, like with equity. You don't have the same amount of access, the same type of access. So it's not possible to have the same of level of achievement. And if you're okay with things like that, then you need to address why, because more than likely you interact with other people in your life like that too, regarding other things. Well said. The author gave an example of the definition that you just said of like a white, a white supremacist holding like a white power sign. I don't know how true this is now, 
but she at the time she wrote they they most likely they aren't even registered to vote and she said it's not it's not about the one crazy person with a white power sign or a burning swastika in their yard this is the words of the author it's the system and our complacency in that system that gives racism its power not individual intent without that white supremacist system we just have a a bunch of assholes yelling at each other on a pretty even playing field and may the best yeller win but there is no even playing field right now over 400 years of systemic oppression have set large groups of racial minorities at a distinct power disadvantage and it goes on from there that was a um i'm very visual like i i can't tell you how to get to your house but i've driven it enough times that i have like little landmarks now i know exactly right. how to get to your house so like some of some of the concepts that the author is introducing it's a lot to unpack and 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 some of the words if you have to look up a word do it but Definitely. so when she provides these visuals um she she's it's almost like a story that i can see in my head where she's explaining it it makes it that much clearer it's not the the guy screaming uh white power or i guess well and in i think it's in one of the discussion questions like how is it how is that relatable today i'm just throw it out there like the um you know trump supporters or like well call back to the first episode fair like they were just anti um immigration like these right. loud like these fringe minority of group of people the white people but like they're these extremists and it's so right. i think it's only speaking as a white person i think that um, some white people that i interact with it's it was easy for them to like almost dismiss it like oh well that's that's ridiculous that's right. you know that that's that's an outlier that's not a real threat and then so when the author kind of ties it all together it's like look I'm not, it's not this person. It's it's the system that we're living in where everybody, I'm just going to speak to like the white, white people, like I, from my perspective, that's why we say, if you hear something, say something. You can't, it's the complacency. It's the system and our complacency in that system that gives racism power. I loved that. Um analogy and an example and I think after reading that you could okay that makes sense definitely what you're doing is racist and it's racist because it's a prejudice against a group of people and it speaks to like the larger mm -hmm. I know you said it a prejudice against someone based on race when those prejudices are reinforced by systems of power yes can you explain that to me a little bit? I mean, we see it all around us and that is the assumption that, um, let's say for example, I mean, even, okay, so she talked about a coworker who put on their, 
I think they posted it on a Facebook page or some social media outlet that pe- people on welfare should be drug tested to receive assistance. So that is very, like, I mean, those things don't even go together mm-hmm. and should not be dependent on the one or the other. Mm-hmm. If you need assistance, you need assistance. If you need rehabilitation, you also need that. That's health, mm-hmm. medical services. Mm-hmm. So the statement in itself is problematic. But then she says the person goes on and says that people, I believe, on welfare should be sterile. And then she says, you know, and Pete, there may be more people affected of a certain race and, you know, may use that system, et cetera, whatever. But that type of belief, like, yes, you're, you're using extreme power of our government mm-hmm. when you enact certain, you know, policies like that. And then have the expectation, oh, those people should just figure it out. Those people should just get it together. Those people shouldn't feel, um, you know, like underserved or, or though they don't, they don't have. It's really, I mean, she just, she does a very, an amazing job at drawing the reader in mm-hmm. and helping people who do not have the time or do not take the time to reflect about why and how race is applicable to every situation. Mm-hmm. It is, you know, even when she talked about the black woman who's followed in the store mm. and she said, you know, it may be just an ignorant store clerk, right? And they just do that. But the thing is, you still are unaware of the fact that this happens to me often. So I have a response to it and actually have a little story, right? Ironically. So this evening I'm driving home and I'm so excited to get home. I can see myself pulling into the garage, see it going up, see it going down, visualizing things. So I like to take this little shortcut into my neighborhood and turn on to the little cutway, the little side street. And this white man flags me down. You know, he has on a vest, can't fully see much, right? But he just kind of flags me with his flashlight, tells me to stop. He's like, um, where are you, where are you going? I'm like, excuse me? Mm. Yeah, where are you headed to? I'm sorry, why, why do you want to know? Mm-hmm. Um, then he says, what else did he say? What was his follow-up question? I forget, it was something, something else about why do you need to get up the street or something along those lines. So I what? said, I see finally, right, his, um, fire station emblem. I was like, who is this dude? Yeah, is he right. right. So I'm like, I live up the street and I'm going home, sir, which is happening regardless. Like, you, I don't understand what's happening. Mm. So he's like, oh, you know, blah, 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 blah. Conversation comes full circle. Very nice guy. No issues. The problem is you are completely unaware of the fact you do not walk up to someone's car, especially mm. when people of color wow. are being killed by law enforcement 
and ask them, where are you going? Even the question of asking me as an American citizen driving down the street, you're just going to flag me in immediate. You didn't even address me. You didn't say who you are. Mm -hmm. You had complete good intention, right? And she talks about that in that book. But you have no idea that when I get stopped by someone who is a political official of some sort, mm -hmm. I immediately respond in fear. Wow. So it's, she, I mean, because we all have these experiences and people don't understand. Yes, again, intentions, great. Yeah, I mean, so much so, he told me to, ironically, what happened was Halloween parade happening on my street, couldn't get up the street, of course, don't want to hit the babies, got to do what you got to do. So I had to pull into like a little cafe lot for like 10 minutes. Pull in there, he tells me to like, he had told me to park somewhere else, right? So when it's over, I see him walking towards like where I'm driving back towards because I was like, oh, it should be. He told me about, you know, 10, 15 minutes, probably less than that. Drive that direction. I see him, he waves, he turns around. Obviously he was coming to tell me, hey, ma'am, it's over. You know, again, good intentions. The problem is the ignorance. Wow. The problem is you don't feel that you need to tell me who you are and you mm. don't know me. Mm. And again, just like she said with the store clerk, if you walk behind everybody, that's problematic because that's just, just, just not good customer service. And the same with him. Like in addition to being black in America, I'm a single woman. Uh, you can't just walk up, where are you going? Why? That's not how you talk to people. Mm. And that is also, that's what I'm saying. It's a matter of social skills <laughs> and, you know, consideration. And if you don't have those things again, hey, I rediscover myself every day. If you're listening and you're a white person, obviously you're comfortable with rediscovering yourself. Mm -hmm. You're comfortable with having that pillow talk in your own head figuring out what's going on in there. And you don't, if you don't have enough consideration to hear why people are crying about being killed, which to me is pretty basic, right? Like she said, about the thing she listed. Mm -hmm. Basic, we all know mm -hmm. that word. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really easy to understand. But if you are having trouble, just listen. Just listen because the fact that it exists, period, like, we would wholeheartedly be with you if you were getting punched all the time. We're there because, no, you shouldn't be getting punched all the time when you're walking down the street. So we need you to be there when we're telling you people are killing us because they just happen to feel like we were mad. Sometimes we're not really mad about what you're doing. Sometimes we happen to just be like have something going on with you. Maybe we're also just fearful. Maybe... We just, this is our personality. Maybe we're not violent. Can you possibly consider those things? I think you can. I know you can. <laughs> when you started, I, I was really nervous for you. I didn't, I didn't think he was going to be a good guy at all. Like he was like redirecting a parade or something. So like, what could he, 
How could he have handled that situation better if he could have had a do-over? Hey, ma'am, I'm um such and such, Lieutenant, blah, 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 at fire station, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I'm so happy to see you this evening. Um, I know you're trying to get home. It's dark outside. I'm obviously trying to get home or go somewhere I belong or I want to be, right? I know you're trying to get home. I just wanted to let you know there's a parade on this street, so you're not going to have any access to it. If you want, I can let you know some places where you can park. Damn. Mm. It'll be over in 10 minutes. Your, my, where I'm going is none of your business. You could be a rapist after you get off work or during work because that, that also happens to people of color and women, right? Because some people that are public servants, using the term loosely, take advantage of that as well. Yeah. So you don't know what, and that's what she's trying to put, help the, the reader understand. You don't know what the experience is. You don't know why we feel the way we feel. But you have to respect why we feel the way we feel because that's what we live. And right. if you can understand that you want people to respect the way you feel because that's what you live, it's really not that, it's not that difficult. Right. That's right. I think it comes down to a lot of people too, just talking about, you know, minding your business because when you mind your business, you have time to think about yourself. And I think thinking about yourself is great because then you can understand other people when you understand, oh, this is why I think this way, or because she also said, she mentioned, you know, it's not easy overcoming that grandmother and every time you come around and, you know, your boyfriend's black or you dating a black guy and she wants to know how the thug is doing or, you know, why, why you think that he should be around and you're better than him. So no, nobody's saying it's easy. But you got to do what's right. You have to do what's right. One thing that stood out in my mind was that the questions that he posed to you and like instead of just saying like, hey, this road shut down and like being like the fact that you felt entitled and like you had some assumed authority to ask you uh, questions and this like just I you feel like you have this power. It reminds me of the book that we're reading like it comes from like you the flip side of the coin is that you white person you live in a society where you feel that you have this that you're better than black or brown people and that you have this invisible thing that you're entitled to that other like you're a lot like the welfare queen section when you brought that up earlier it ties in to this too in my mind because the well the concept of the welfare queen was promulgated under Reagan, I believe. It was Reagan that did that. Um and just like a side note, the person there's no such welfare queen that he was um alluding to. He was really just if 
you weren't around for that. He was really disparaging and putting down women on that received public assistance for food or access to housing. And side side note, it wasn't a problem when the majority of people receiving it were white. Side side note into history. It was not until more black and brown people, families, women were receiving it that then we started hearing these messages coming out from Reagan and his cronies that um, the image, right? Like I'm a visual learner. Like he Reagan put this image out of a quote unquote welfare queen was someone that was abusing the system and didn't deserve food or Reagan put right words matter. He called them hands out. Like the side note I'm making is the story um, was one woman that was a con artist and she was a very special case. And to take one example and to try, and you're the government, right? You're like, you're disseminating this information and take this, this one image and then create a fictional story and call her the welfare queen. It, you are putting in the brains of white people, you're, you're pushing this idea that there's some people based on the color of their skin, that they are somehow less than you. And uh, another example that the author brought up in the book was um, the concept, black people are always late, is what one another example that the author brings up in the book and that it's sort of, it's the same as welfare queen, or it's the same as this, you know, self-appointed howdy duty that was going to tell you, ask you, start asking you questions where you're going. It all relates, right? Because it's like these prejudice, prejudices, these assumptions, you might think it's harmless, like, oh, black people are always late. Well, it's not so harmless when then black people are not given interviews, or black people aren't being paid the same because it's like this, it's this um, implicit bias that black people are always late and that's a prejudice against a group of people and how it ties to the system is it's keeping them out of, like you said, equity. So like, and like, this is an extremely long-winded way of saying that like, another point I wanted to hit on that I, that I, that I, I loved the way that this author was able to express this very complex idea is that the racism, this is white supremacy, this is all tied into American economics. And it's, it's to profit, it's to uh, benefit financially an extra, a handful, a very small, small yeah. group of people that are white males in our country they are the rich, and then the vast majority of us are the un, are the not rich. So it's like racism is a tool used to. I was gonna say keep down black people. There's got to be a better way to 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 phrase that. But it's a tool used to keep the economic machine running and money in their pockets. And when they are feeding these messages, welfare queen. Um, black people are always late, this guy feeling self-entitled to start asking you questions. It's like all of that stuff 
the sad part is the people that are they they don't care about not just the poor people they don't care about the black people they're using this as a tool to keep the economic machine running yes the other thing is i feel like as i was listening to you say so many of those things that she mentions and i don't i know again like you're saying this isn't the best way to put this but many of these things just come down to mind your business like if someone needs assistance for whatever reason they need it and you it does not affect you period mm. just mind your business they're yeah. entitled they're a person they're a human i read a children's story not too long ago i'm going to have to give the author credit at a later time but i can't remember the name his name but he literally is explaining to children in this book you matter because you're you mm. you know and that is that's how simple that's how basic it is you know so i think that to perpetuate certain stereo not even just stereotypes but misbeliefs and creations of untruths mm-hmm. like you said there's only a there's a very small population that's benefited so why are you contributing what about it makes you so what are they doing for you i don't know maybe you can tell me but makes you such a diehard and they don't i i think most people don't uh see this so again like make sure people read this like you know what i mean like it is important for you to understand what's going on it reminded me remember one of the discussion guys is like tie it to something going on today how about the way that we treat um people um battling substance abuse I, the news recently i forget the name of the pharmacy that manufactured an opioid but there was a multi-billion dollar uh settlement that just came forward and the company shut down and the details of it was that people were becoming addicted to the the pills and the way that the company was uh disseminating the pills to the doctors etc cetera, etc cetera. how about when there was a crack epidemic and a majority of a marginalized group of people was dealing with the same um substance abuse issues addiction and how did america talk about it first off we didn't for a very long time or the rhetoric was to blame the people that um were battling an addiction or a substance abuse and let's compare that to when white people were starting to get addicted to opioids or pills in general So there you go there is an example of the material going on in our present day and the messaging going back to the message welfare queen like the messaging that is put out when it is speaking about black or brown people versus white cuz now what do they say about I forget what do they say 
white people like, um, oh, well, we need to get them into rehab. We need more money for rehab. Da 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 da. Right. When the face looked white, with the oh, it's an opioid crisis, right? I think it's important to see things side by side, even news articles, the way that words, words matter, the way that the words are uh, framing the issue. Philly, right, right now, um, cops in Philly just killed a black man. The newspaper articles, you can see the difference, like uh, Fox versus The Guardian. Fox would say, like, day two of uh, Philly looting and vandalism, da 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 after a police officer shot a black man. And what? then, like, The Guardian, for example, if it's not The Guardian, I apologize, but a, a, diff, a more considered, quote-unquote, whatever this means, more left liberal-leaning paper talking about cops killed a black man, he was suffering in mental health issues, pre-existing mental health issues. They shot and killed him in front of his mother. Right. Okay. So, again, just, it, it's, a, it's a little off topic, but it's not. It's about, wait, it's all about, it's about race. Yes. But that's, that's what I thought of while I was reading these chapters. Definitely. Definitely. I think even going back to, um, oh, when you talked about the be the beginning of your statement, talking about, you know, now it's an opioid crisis, right? Mm -hmm. So let's take some direct quotes from her book. So she says, um, or not quotes, but fra just fragments and, and ideas. Right. When she said, you know, that if it's your experience, right, then it's true. Right. So just like you said, yeah, if the black, if, if black people are being affected by the crack epidemic, like, yeah, it's real. That's period. The same way it's real that the opioid crisis exists, right? Mm -hmm. To you. Okay. The next thing is she says, now this is a quote. It is about race. If it fits into a broader pattern of events that disproportionately or differently affects people of color. Mm -hmm. So that again, parallels with the fact that you can understand that this disproportionately affecting a subgroup, right? Right. And you see that, so you have to deem it as a crisis. Mm -hmm. It's very, the parallel is very easy to understand. So that's why, to me, it's not necessarily about better than, worse than. These are, these are concepts just to, and we all experience that. We all, you know, even you see those people of color that say things sometimes that are like, oh, wow, that was really off the wall, like questionable, curious, maybe need more explanation. But this, we all say things out of ignorance. You see those people that you think are the most liberal and then they say something about homosexuality and you're like, oh my gosh, I thought you were like, the closest person to me, you know? And they say something really ignorant. Yes. So to me, it's, it is definitely all about education. It's not that anyone's trying to deem you because that's why you're curious. That's why you want to know. That's why we're having this discussion. But do the work because B 
being being a good person is work. <laughs> Learning that on my own, right? Apparently, it's an American thing, I guess. Well, and like, well, why is it an American thing? Oh, because we live in a society where it's all about, at the economics, getting a small elite group of white males, rich and rich and rich. And how are they doing that? Well, they're they're also... You want to talk about, all right, like, the pandemic. Is it one in five? Black people are getting it. The ratio versus the white counterparts, it's outrageous. It is. And then you have someone, Jeff Bezos, white guy. He made money. Who the fuck's making money? I'm sorry. And chilling. <laughs> and chilling. Not even like, you know what? I'm going to make this money and then, bam, surprise, I'm going to help everybody. Right. No, I made my money and I'm good. And you can keep sending it. And we, as a people, sit back and think that's okay. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not. We just, like, and that's that's what I'm saying, because this system is made for the chase. You know, this system mm-hmm. is made so that you don't have time to think. Mm-hmm. You know, and we all, that's what I'm saying, we all need to have those reflection times each day and think about how we can be better the next day and it's okay and that's part of the book and the at the end it's like i want to read this part this line the ultimate goal of racism was the profit and comfort of the white race specifically of rich white men amazon so Amazon, okay? But then, yeah, I'm all riled up. Okay, so now what? What am I going to do about it? What you do about it is you don't buy from Amazon. You buy from black-owned businesses as much as you possibly can. You can move your money into a black-owned bank. There's a bank, One United. It's a black-owned bank. They started in Massachusetts, but, like, we have Wawa's here. Like, you can use Wawa, and it doesn't charge okay. your your card for going to the ATM and getting out cash. So it's like, if you're riled up about this stuff, if you don't like this, if you don't want to be a part of a system that suppresses and kills black and brown people and disproportionately black people and the most affected black women, if that makes you upset or if that's something you don't want to participate in, Stop buying from Amazon. Stop lining the pockets of white rich men. And that's why you might have seen stuff in social media like buy black. That's what this is tying into. So once you understand that racism, I'm going to say it again. The ultimate goal of racism was the profit and comfort of the white race, specifically of rich white men. So when you're talking about like, oh, I want to dismantle white supremacy, oh, I I want to be anti-racist. Like, from just my advice for whatever the hell it's worth, it's like, white person speaking to white people, you need to dismantle yourself from the system then. And that means, like, practicing what you preach, like, boycott, put your money into the black community, restaurants, banks, 
all that kind of stuff. That was a huge takeaway when I was reading this book for me. It was like, this is, this is what we've been saying, like with the buy black and these bigger, more abstract concepts. Chapter was this chapter two. It's like she nails it, right? What is racism? And then it's like once you can unpack that, we can have some fun. Right. And by fun, I don't mean fun, but I mean, let we. You want to talk about why is police brutality a problem, and you want to get into more of um, different topics. You need a baseline understanding of what the hell is racism. And why is it a problem? And she said, uh, when we look at racism as a system, it becomes much larger and more complicated than it seemed before. But there is also opportunity to address the various parts of it. And that is what the rest of this book attempts to at least begin to do, chapter by chapter. So now that we know what racism is, let's get to work. Yep. Definitely. What did you think about, so far, the book? I'm excited. I'm excited to read the entire book. I feel so empowered. I feel just, I don't know, I'm like, at the, you know how I, how I am. I'm just riding a roller coaster. I'm at a high point right now. I'm feeling really good. I feel like this book is going to open up a lot of thought processes for myself. And I'm happy that I opened it. I am. I'm happy that, you know, like I talk about often, I live in a family home. And I can feel my grandfather who was an English teacher. So I'm happy to be able to return to that space and continue and again he would this is a book he would have in his library mm. so I'm very I feel good I'm excited that people are going to read this book would you recommend this book to your friend definitely yeah why definitely. because it's not only for it's for everyone Mm-hmm. It's for everyone. That's why. And even when she speaks, and of course, you know, I knew this from her name, but even similarly, you know, we have different experiences because she's, she has at least a connection to where she, her family is from by her name. And her name is a part of her culture. So I don't even have that, you know, and that may lead me to believe that possibly she, I have more generations in this country than she does. So well, there her are mom still was, different. Not her mom, her mm-hmm. dad, right? Her dad's Nigerian. Right. Right, okay, yeah. Right. right. So even with that, you know, the Why is that important? I don't understand. Can you explain that to me? Sure. So even within being black in America, um, many people that have had ancestry here for generations, multiple generations, 
have had different experiences than black Americans that may be first generation, second generation. And it still is a book where you understand that the experience is shared. Hmm. And even with the conversations and sometimes debates and just thoughts that we have that are not really, they don't matter because we're all having a similar struggle that needs to be addressed because we're black in America, period. So that's why I say it's a book for everyone to connect to understanding the concept of racism and why it is problematic. Because if you're okay with it, then just own it and say you're okay with it. But if you're not, then this is a great read. Yeah, so I think this was a really good, uh, productive first book club meeting. What do you think? Definitely, definitely. I enjoyed talking with you about this again. I'm so glad that, you know, and that's the thing, like, being having mindfulness and participating in it, our relationship has blossomed, mm-hmm. and this has been such a, I mean, even so, I believe that we all can constantly be learning. And I'm enjoying being pushed to limits that I enjoyed before, but due to certain circumstances in my life, which maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll get to (laughs) at another point, but you know what I'm saying, caused me to lose track and sight of self. So I'm really, really excited, and I'm really, really happy that we're doing this because this, this is great. It's great. And thank you to our audience for joining us. We're going to be doing more book club at the next time around, so stay tuned for upcoming announcements. Until next time.